We talked about in terms of spiritual attainment, what are some of the things that one ought to have or one must do in order to progress on the path. Because you cannot break free of your innate tendencies with ordinary or limited effort. It requires an intense effort. But by effort, even for a moment, I'm not suggesting that it is about meditating for 10,000 hours or 15,000 hours. That is definitely going to help you, but that is simply training the mind to build your mindfulness, to bring it to such a level that you are at all times aware of your thoughts, feelings, actions, and words. When I talk about intense effort, I'm talking about something different. Or I'm talking about something in addition to meditation and chanting and so on. Meditation is something you do to train and tame your mind. Chanting is what you do to align your energies with this cosmic play of energy. Whether we see it as sacred or simply a play, that's up to you. But beyond that, a certain righteousness Leading a virtuous life is non-negotiable. And I cannot stress this enough. If you were really interested in progressing on the path, there is no substitute for noble conduct. If you, you, might be, you might have heard of this King Ashoka, right? He's a very famous king. The, the chakra we see, uh, our national sign emblem, uh, it's Ashoka chakra, which is actually the wheel of dharma in Buddhism, <clears throat> which means the world is forever moving, that nothing is permanent. And that wheel of dharma, of righteousness, of what nature only does, what's what it's supposed to do. It cannot pardon anybody. It cannot forgive anybody. Because the concept of forgiveness arises when you think about morality. If there is no morality of any kind, there is really no need for forgiveness or seeking forgiveness. The concept of forgiveness is intricately tied to the notion of morality. <coughs> so Buddha suggested that the wheel of dharma is forever moving because it is indicative of the working of nature. Everything is constantly evolving. Whether it's growing or it isn't, that remains to be seen. But it is constantly evolving. So King Ashoka 
when he conquered many territories, when he killed many people. One day he sat back when he was examining these martyrs or corpses of his soldiers lying there on the battlefield. He saw that bloodshed. And he asked himself, what is the point of it all? That what was the point of it all to, to engage in such violent acts just so you have a bit more land or a bit more wealth, none of which is going to go with you anyway. Therefore, put everything in the temple, Hundi. It's not going to go with you, okay? <laughs> we, we put a big box here, use that. So King Ashoka thought, what's the point of it all? It's just, uh, and he was overcome with great guilt. One of the most important emotions one must learn to handle if you are going to get, or if you wish to get anywhere in life, is how to handle guilt. Because it burdens your soul like nothing else. And if you cannot get over your guilt, it is going to wreak havoc on your mind and on your body. So people who keep on doing things against their conscience, over a period of time, they get desensitized. But that is simply brain's way of coping with it, not the soul's way, not the mind's way. Eventually what happens? Eventually what happens is it starts to overflow. Think of a little jar. You start to fill it with water. And it starts to overflow. It is unable to contain. When you are unable to contain the burden on your conscience, it starts to come out. And it comes out in the way of either depression, insomnia, or anxiety, paranoia, schizophrenia. Well, schizophrenia could be a more brain-related condition. Or it could come out in the form of even suicidal thoughts. Or even bringing them to uh, an effect. If nothing else, it would show up in your body. In the form of a disease or something like that. This man was... Uh, sitting next to a priest, and he was totally drunk. Not the priest, the man. <laughs> and he was totally drunk. And he was reeking of the smell of, of liquor. And he was reading a, a newspaper. And he looked at the priest, and he said, Father, what causes pain in one's body? Things like arthritis. He said, son, it's when you lead a bad life. It's when you're a womanizer. It's when you do all the wrong things in your life that diseases come in your body. And you really better watch out. And this man was drunk. He said, oh, okay. <laughs> Whatever. He went back to his newspaper. And a few minutes later, the priest uh, realized that he had been uh, 
harder than he should have been or could have been on this uh, man who wasn't even aware of himself. And he said to him, son, I'm sorry, I was hard on you. Um, since when have you been suffering from arthritis? He said, oh, no, no, not me, priest. The newspaper wrote that poor, the Pope has been uh, diagnosed with arthritis. <laughs> so I just thought, since you are a man of religion, a man of God, you might know a thing or two about it. No, the priest, uh, I, I can't tell you what he said afterwards. So the point is this, that nature does not care about morality. The burden on your conscience is almost always based on how you are made. What, what your beliefs are and how you've been brought up. So this man, uh, this person, this king Ashoka thought this was the most dumb thing he had done in his life to kill so many people because he just to have a bit more land. And he was deeply impressed by the Buddhist teachings. And he declared himself a Buddhist. And his uh, children actually propagated Buddhism in all parts of the world. And he really took to nonviolence. And when he did that, any time any monk would visit his palace, he would bow at that, bow in front of that monk. He would get off his throne and go there, put his forehead, touch his head with, touch his feet with his forehead. Now the ministers thought this was not befitting of a king that it would send the wrong message. In the 6th century in Tibet, deeply influenced by the Buddhist teachings again, they took to the principle of non-violence. And in doing so, they dismantled their entire defense system. As a result, today that country does not really exist on its own. Its sovereign sovereignty has been violated. But Ashoka, was a king of a different material. So he would bow, and the ministers thought that wasn't good. And they confronted him. They said, look, uh, with all due respect, on your head you wear the crown. You represent all your subjects. And for you to bow down before every monk that walks through your palace it's not looking very good. So you may want to reconsider it. And Ashoka said, I will certainly think about it. A little while later, he asked one of his ministers, can you get me, can you get me heads of three different animals? So three heads were brought a goats, uh, a lions, or whatever. And then Ashoka said, uh, can you do me a favor? Can you go to the cremation grounds and get me one more head of a human being? Don't chop it. Somebody must have died. So they went, and they got a human head as well. And it's a real story, true story. 
Ashoka told me himself. <laughs> so he said, now go in the marketplace and sell these heads and tell me, bring back to me the money they fetch. So they went to the market and they tried to sell the heads. The heads of the animals, they were sold easily. But nobody was interested in buying the head of a man. Nobody wanted to buy the head of a human being. But the animal heads were sold right away. So they came back to Ashoka, they said, we have money from three heads, but the fourth uh, we couldn't sell, the human head. He said, so what is the pride about? This head is worth nothing. We offered it. We tried to sell it. Nobody wants to buy it. It's not even worth as much as an animal's head. That doesn't even speak. So now he said, you are telling me to not be humble? Not do what the Dharma requires? To have false pride that I am the king? Therefore, I am deserving of everybody's respect, but nobody, nobody is deserving of mine? That doesn't work, he said. So the, one of the most important qualities is to let go of one's false pride. Because it doesn't matter how smart we may be. It doesn't matter how intelligent, how brilliant, what a genius one might be. There are always people, not one, two, ten, twenty, hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands. In fact, if given the opportunity, then millions of people who are at any given point in time better than we may be. So this pride is the greatest hurdle in spiritual attainment. Because when you are overpowered and overtaken by your pride, at that moment we become blind. The entire emphasis shifts from doing the right thing to proving ourselves right. The focus changes from growth to just conquering. A spiritual quest turns into a nasty conquest. And then we get caught up in the external things. That I can just chat, or I can just meditate, or look, uh, you know, how long I can sit in one posture, and so on and so forth. Things that were of some importance now have no value, no significance on your path. So that humility is non-negotiable. Without that, there is no progress on the path. Because this is the root of all thoughts. 
Urdhvamulam. The tree of life is inverted. And the roots are here. Nurture the roots and the whole tree is healthy. You can't really tweak and trim and, and cater for every single one of those uh, leaves. Until we inculcate that righteousness in our lives, there is going to be no spiritual growth. There is going to be an illusion of growth. There are going to be glimpses of growth, but no real growth. And if you really meet very successful people, often you will find, it's not that they're not uh, high-headed, they may be, but usually what you will find is it's so easy to talk to them compared to all the people who work for them. <laughs> really. You can walk into the office of um, somebody, a CEO, and he or she will understand you, will listen to you. You, As soon as you walk into the, through the door of, of an office, you meet a clerk, they will say, look, you are just not getting it. They won't understand you most of the time, and they will reject any appeal request you may have. It's just a no stab right there. No, 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 no. But you go higher up. The higher up you go, the easier it is to communicate and to be heard. And even to understand the other person. So the spiritual path or spiritual growth is not much different. Because when you are humble, when you realize this head has no value. I mean, hair transplant may cost you a lakh or two, but your head has no value. Given the current state of affairs, I can absolutely confirm it. They just proved me right. So, without humility, you will not develop that openness to listen to the other person, to empathize with the other person, to put yourself in their shoes, to hear them out. Because we are so full of ourselves that we have no room in our consciousness for anybody else. And if that remains the case, then how would you grow? How can we expect to have something different from life if we choose to be how we've always been? Other than like meditation and so on, that, that humbleness is absolutely critical. No growth without it. I'm sure today in this ashram, everybody will experience a wave of humility. <laughs> everybody is going to be very humble. Would you like to eat first? No, you please eat first. 
Are you hungry? I'll serve you chapati. And by the time it's lunch, things will start to shift a little. And evening, they'll be ready for another discourse. <laughs> so, and that's how tendencies of the mind work. First time you remind them, you forget. Second time you remind them, you forget again. Third time, again, forgetfulness. Fourth time, it stays on for a few seconds. Fifth time, it stays on for like tens of seconds. Not fifth, fiftieth time. And five hundredth time, it stays on for a few minutes. Ten thousandth time, it will stay on for a good one hour. Make it more than that, and your mindfulness will become your eternal companion. In the beginning, any resolution you might make, any decision you might take, any thoughts you may think, anything you might uh, decide holds little meaning because very quickly you will forget. It happens all the time to the best of us. We may decide that, okay, I'm not going to, let's say, shout at somebody. But the moment they show up, you're already waiting. <laughs> Forget what the talk may be. They may or may not trigger anything. You are the trigger yourself. You're just waiting to just, you know, go, have a go at that person. That mindfulness goes out for a toss. Not because you don't have the right intention. Not because it's impractical what you expected only and only because you haven't championed it. It doesn't matter what the seed may be. It could be as hard as a mango stone seed, or it could be as tender as um, a cantaloupe's. If you want that seed to sprout, it must be sowed in soft ground. Really, that's pretty much the difference between barren land and, and land that's fertile. Fertile land is soft, can retain moisture. A barren block of land cannot. So if your heart is devoid of that goodness, that nobility, that humility, it will remain barren. Then it doesn't matter what kind of seed you try to sprout in it. It will be a vain attempt. That's how life works. <laughs>